Hello and welcome back to our second season of the PCOS Nutritionist Podcast. I'm Claire Goodwin, I'm a degree qualified nutritionist and exercise scientist and I specialise in PCOS because I have been there myself as well and I know just how frustrating it is trying to work out this whole complex hormonal storm that's going on in your body. Today's episode is all about fertility and PCOS because it's one of the major symptoms that drives people to go to the doctor to actually get diagnosed with PCOS. Actually about 40% of women are diagnosed with PCOS when they're trying to conceive and about 70% of women um, struggle to get pregnant with PCOS. So it's a really important topic to look into. So PCOS does not mean that you're infertile. Okay, infertility or being infertile means that there is physically no way that you can get pregnant. Either that you're missing sexual organs, i.e. you're missing either your fallopian tubes, your ovaries, you'll never produce any eggs, or there is a physical reason why the egg and sperm cannot meet. Okay, that's really the definition of infertility. But in PCOS, that's not the case, unless you have something else going on. What we like to call it is subfertility. So subfertility really, I I think, is a much nicer term because it helps you to see that while you might not be getting pregnant at the moment, in most cases we just have to tweak a few things and you can conceive naturally and or with the help of medical intervention. So this episode is a very, very timely one because I have been holding on to a really big secret for quite some time that I want to tell you about and that is that I'm writing a book all about how to get pregnant with when you have PCOS. I've actually already been working on this for quite a few months already but if you've ever written a book before or know someone who has you probably know that the process is quite lengthy in terms of first of all pitching your ideas to publisher and then um, writing a part of a manuscript and then working with editors and designers to design your book so it's been in the works for a while but I'm so excited to be able to share this information with you because I love this aspect of PCOS. I love working with my patients to help them get their periods back or get back ovulating or to figure out why they might be struggling with fertility, what the root cause of why they're not getting pregnant at the moment is and what they do need to do to reverse that. And so in this podcast, we'll be going through some of the main areas, the five main areas that I would look at for any patient with fertility challenges and what we, the process would go through to help to improve that. Fertility can seem like a very much of a dark art of medicine. You don't get a lot of information when you go to the doctor and you're struggling to conceive. Generally, you'll just get referred for a bunch of tests and or to other fertility clinics. And it can seem very much out of your control. So the intent of the podcast today is I want to give you back some of that control and help you to know yourself what to look for. What are the things that you should be figuring out what the root cause could be and then how you could actually improve that root cause. So when I think about fertility, the analogy that I use is that baking a baby is very much like baking a cake. And I know that sounds quite simplistic, but it helps me to go through a bit of a decision tree or steps to figure out what might be going wrong. So I talk about the three fertile ingredients that you need to bake a baby. And just like a cake, the first thing you need is you need enough quality ingredients. Okay, so when we think about baking a baby, we think of we need a sperm and an egg of good quality that's at the right size, it's big enough, you've got the quantity and quality that you need. Whenever you're looking through a recipe, you'll never not see a recipe that's got, oh, you just need spinach. It'll be, well, how much spinach do I need? Do I need a cup? Do I need a half a cup? Do I need baby? Do I need full spinach? 
what do I need? If you've ever tried making a cake with margarine instead of butter, then you'll know what I'm talking about when it comes to quality. Okay, it's got to have the same, got to have those same properties as what you need. So margarine does, doesn't quite have the fat uh, quantity as what butter does. It's mo- mostly filled with water. So the end result that you'll get is not quite going to be the same. Okay, so when we talk about quality and when it comes to fertility, we need the sperm to have um, good quality. And this is something that's often missed in, especially when it comes to something like PCOS, where they know that there's potentially an issue with your um, ovulation or maybe your um, your progesterone levels, which we'll talk about in a minute, not being quite right and therefore uh, contributing to infertility, they might miss the whole male factor. So in the book, I've got a whole chapter about, a whole massive section about sperm quality and why they, even if you've had a sperm analysis done, why they might say, oh yeah, everything's normal, but actually the normal parameters that they're using for sperm quality are so, so low. They've set the bar so low that actually they're not what we would call optimal. They're just kind of like, okay, yeah, they might pass. But for example, the sperm um, morphology, which is a measure of how many sperm per sample have normal looking bodies and those that have abnormal bodies, like two heads, two tails, a split tail, a stumpy tail, etc., versus those that have normal looking bodies. So the sperm morphology um, that, that is, they say is normal is only 4%. That means only 4% of the sperm in that sample have normal looking bodies. The other 96% have abnormal bodies. And that's where your um, cervix will actually filter those out and be like, nah, they're not okay. We're not taking any of those abnormal looking bods. Okay, so that's why I'm saying about they set the bar really, really low about what's normal. Whereas a lot of studies have actually shown us what's an optimal level. So in the book, that's where I've got that whole chapter on what's actually optimal and how if your partner's sperm is not optimal, what you can do to help improve that sperm uh, quality. So that's, uh, then the other part of that is your egg. So this is the part that we'll look into more today is um, that the egg needs to be able to grow to size. So part of you being able to release an egg is that your body has to grow that to the size it says, yep, okay, you're like, you're a decent size. So if you think about it, your ovaries are full of these things called follicles or baby eggs. And they are little, little tiny eggs that your body then will pick out one and say, right, you, you're going to be the dominant sperm. It literally puts all its eggs in one basket. It doesn't try to hedge its bets and be like, right, we'll grow all of these 10 to size and see which one, um, which one comes out. It says, no, we've only got enough resources to grow one to size. So we're going to put all our eggs in one basket, grow this one to size. And then, but what happens is if that doesn't quite reach size by the time you're ready to ovulate, your body will then discard that and then pick the next one out of the batch to grow okay and this is why in PCOS we can often have um, like cysts or what's called follicles on our ovaries that's what appears as the cysts in polycystic ovarian syndrome which is basically those discarded eggs where your body's like "Uh -uh, that one didn't grow to size or the other part which we'll talk about in a minute is that it can't actually release that it will then just discard that egg and it will stay kind of stuck on the ovary and that's what appears as cysts on the ovaries So that's why we need both the sperm and the egg to be of good size and quality. Uh, And egg quality is another big factor as well. It's got to be, it's part of it growing to size. And one thing that can really damage egg quality is high level of testosterone or androgens, which is often high in PCOS. This is why um, your egg might not be getting released. 
Okay, so that's the first part of the fertile ingredients is those is the actual ingredients. The second part is that we've got to have the right timing. You know when you're baking a cake, like you'll first off like cream the butter and sugar together and then you'll add the flour and dry ingredients. Whereas if you've ever tried making it, I distinctly remember when I was young, just reading through all of the ingredients, putting them all into the KitchenAid or uh, blend that we had and cake mix that we had and then being baffled as to why they didn't turn out right. And my mum was like, did you read the instructions? And I was like, well... I just thought you put them all on together and then you put it into the cake tin. I didn't realise that it had to actually be in the right method. So it had to be first creaming that butter and sugar to give it the aeration and then adding the dry ingredients once you'd sifted them and everything like that and then putting it into the tin. So that's the same as when your sperm and, and egg are meeting is that it's got to be the right timing. And that means that you have to have sperm waiting there in your fallopian tubes before you ovulate i.e. you have to have sex or intercourse before you ovulate so that you've got sperm waiting there for, um, for conception to actually happen. So a lot of people this in PCOS miss this fertile window. This is what we call the fertile window, is having intercourse when you're actually fertile, which is when you've got, before ovulation, when you also have cervical fluid present. Now cervical fluid is what acts as a jetpack to basically suck or a riptide to suck that sperm up through into your cervix and into the fallopian tube where it's going to be there waiting for that egg to be released. Sperm, while good swimmers, are not amazing and if you don't have that cervical fluid to help them you know, as that jetpack, they probably won't be able to swim uh, and survive for long enough to get through the cervix. So if you think about it, I think about like a riptide, like you know when you're swimming along and if you've ever seen a riptide, what a riptide does is it basically sucks you into it and then sucks you out the back of the waves as, as like a, a current, right? So it helps you get out there faster than what you normally would. And often surfers will use a riptide to help them get out the back of the waves quicker than what they would uh, normally be able to get through. Obviously, other swimmers, that can be dangerous for them. They're not strong swimmers. But for those surfers who can use it to their advantage, it can be really advantageous. And that's the same thing with the sperm. The sperm can use it to their advantage to help get through your cervix up into your fallopian tube, ready for that sperm there waiting, without half drowning on the way because they're just so tired. So it's kind of like... Um, if you think about it like a little Uber Uber from your door up to the from the start of your in your vagina up through the cervix into the fallopian tube. So that's why we need to make sure that we can actually tell when we're leading up to ovulation. This part can be really difficult in PCOS if you have really irregular cycles and because you might not know when you're ovulating. And the little sticks, the ovulation test sticks that they give you to, to test when you're ovulating, they don't actually work in PCOS because we have two higher levels generally of something called luteinizing hormone. Now luteinizing hormone is the hormone that's released when you ovulate to release your egg from the ovaries out into the fallopian tubes. Okay, This shoots up in the middle of your cycle um, to do that job. But what happens in PCOS is that we already have quite high levels and this means that um, A, it can mess up the timing. So when your egg is kind of growing to size and your body's like, right, we're ready to go, luteinizing hormone, you do your job and get that egg out of the ovary. And then your body will be like, hmm, nah, this is weird. 
LH is already too high. I don't quite understand what's going on here. Um, the ratio, especially for, between luteinizing hormone and your other hormone called follicle-stimulating hormone, that's what we think is that gives the signal to the brain to, to tell it when it's ready to ovulate. But if that ratio is out of balance, then your body won't respond and it won't release that. It'll be like, nah, there's something going on here. I don't quite understand what it is, but it's not right, and so therefore I'm not going to ovulate. Because your body's like, I don't want to bring a baby into the world that's not going to, it's not going to be safe for them. And it thinks, potentially thinks that there's something going on there because that hormone ratio is out of balance. So that can mean that you don't ovulate um, as well. So as well as what we were talking about before with the egg not growing to size, possibly stopping ovulation. The other thing that can stop ovulation is that ratio, hormone ratio being too out of balance. And so therefore that can be why you might have 40, 50, 60 day cycles is because your body has attempted to ovulate and then when it can't, it'll then discard that egg, um, which will stay stuck on the ovary appearing as a cyst. And then it will try and you know choose another egg to, to develop. And so a week later, it will try and ovulate again. And if it can't do that again, it will just go back through that same cycle. So if you've got a 60-day cycle, your body may have attempted to ovulate five um, or more times during that cycle. right? So this can be the other reason why uh, the timing is not quite right is because your body's trying to like release that egg when it's ready, but it's just the hormone ratio is out of balance. But then generally your body will be able to ovulate at some point. So it'll maybe try three, maybe four times. And on the fifth time, it finally gets there. But unless you are understanding when you're actually fertile, say you're actually using the fertility awareness method of noticing your cervical fluid and or your temperature, you won't know when that time is right. And therefore you may miss the timing of your fertile window, which means that that's why you don't get pregnant. Okay, so that's what I mean by timing. Now the third, so we've had those two fertile ingredients. The first one is the quality and quantity of the ingredients or your egg and sperm are correct. The second is the timing. So you've got to have the egg and sperm there in the fallopian tubes at the same time to be able to get pregnant. And the last thing is that in the baking analogy, you've got to have a tin like a baking tin or a baking uh, a baking tray, whatever you're using, there's got to be something to put it into to put it in the oven, right? If you just tried pouring the batter from your uh, KitchenAid straight into the oven, they will just end up in a pile on the bottom of the oven creating a horrific mess and also not actually making a cake because it's not in the right shape. The same thing happens with you and your fertility. You've got to have a, a nest or a cake tin there to help your egg to grow. So that is what protects the egg, um, allowing it to actually form to a fetus. So the nest or the cake tin for our egg is our uterine lining. Our uterine lining is what sheds and falls away when we get, when we get our period, right? So you've got to have that there in place long enough to actually protect that egg to create the fetus. So what happens is when you when the egg and sperm meet in the fallopian tube, that'll become fertilized and then your egg travels down into your uterus and burrows into your uterine lining to create itself a wee nest. But it needs at least 11 days between when you ovulate and when you, um, you know, at least before you get your period to be able to do that, burrow in there and then signal to your brain, hey, I'm pregnant, don't shed the lining. Okay, it's like keep that nest intact, don't let it fall down. 
But if you don't have enough progesterone, then that lining will fall away and before the 11 days and you'll get your period. So what might be happening is that you're actually, you know, you've, you're ovulating, you're timing sex correctly, but if you don't have enough progesterone to keep that nest intact, you then won't uh, conceive. Or you won't make it to the 12 week stage, whereby which, at which time the fetus starts to produce its own progesterone. So until that time, you're, the fetus is reliant on you to produce enough progesterone to keep that nest intact. After the 12 weeks, it can start to produce its own progesterone. And that's why if you don't have enough progesterone, that can be a huge risk for miscarriage as well. So it can be a risk for you not getting pregnant, but it can also be a risk for miscarriage. Okay, so those are the three fertile ingredients. And whenever I'm working with a woman, I'll always look through those three and we'll use that as kind of a decision tree. So first of all, we'll, we'll check, is, there a, um, is the egg growing to size? Is it being released, i.e. are they ovulating? Is their partner's sperm of good quality? And I generally check this at the same time as checking everything with, with a woman because there's no point her then spending the next six months improving all her fertility if then we have to then go and spend another six months um, improving the, the partner's uh, sperm quality as well. So just for time's sake, I'd rather do it all at the same time and then they can both be working on um, their, their health goals at the same time. So I would do, that's the first thing I'd look at is whether they are ovulating. And then the second thing would be, do they have enough progesterone to keep that nest intact and to prevent uh, the potential or try and minimize the risk of miscarriage? So the way I do that is then if we find out, for example, okay, she's not ovulating. So that's when I will then implement um, a bit of a five-step process to help to improve that or help to um so maybe it's a couple of things going on here. Generally, what will happen is it's not just one thing. Generally, you might not be ovulating, but also you likely you won't know how to time sex correctly. You won't how to know know how to know when you're fertile because we've never been taught this. And also too, I want to make sure that you and the baby have the best possible chance and and of a healthy pregnancy and then have a healthy upbringing and, and a healthy adulthood as well so I want to make sure that your health is optimal to make sure that you can actually grow your baby to be the healthiest adult and also that you're going to have a healthy pregnancy and not be completely wiped out by the end of it because in the nicest possible way the, a baby is like a parasite they will and the definition of a parasite is it'll it will take what it needs for itself and have kind of complete disregard of the host i.e you so when you're growing a baby if you don't have enough nutrients let's say you don't have enough iron um, your baby will take what it needs and you'll be left anemic and if anyone's had anemia you'll likely know that you feel like a hot piece of garbage that's been run over by a steamroller five times and that you can feel absolutely wiped out. And so imagine being feeling like that, plus having a screaming newborn, um, you're getting four hours sleep a night maximum, it's not going to be a pretty picture. So that's why I go through this five-step process that you can A, get pregnant, but then also B, have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. So the first step is identify, trying to identify what the root cause is. So if we identify that someone's A, not getting a period, they're then not likely or they're getting a really irregular period, it'll be that they are either not ovulating or their body is trying to ovulate multiple times um, before it succeeds. So the root causes, I've talked about these a lot. This is in the first episode 
of the podcast in season one. So go back and have a listen to that. But the main reasons why is, as I explained in there, is that genetics play a huge part in PCOS. We can't change those, but we can change our environment to help with work with our genes rather than against them. So the main areas that um, I then say where we're working against our genes is where we have other things going on, like our insulin's not working properly, or our stress hormones are not working properly, or we have hypothyroidism, or an autoimmune condition, or uh, inflammation, high levels of inflammation. So those are the four main things. Insulin, stress hormones, thyroid, and inflammation are the four main things that I see going wrong. So first of all, trying to identify out of those four what's happening for that woman. So it might not be just one. It might be a combination that she might have um, her insulin's not functioning properly and also she's got hypothyroidism or Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the autoimmune thyroid condition. So this is the very first thing that we do inside the PCOS protocol, my program, is we identify what's going on, what, are those, what is the main t- uh, type or root cause for her. And then that then enables me to match them up with the most important things they can do in their lifestyle. So what are the most important changes to their diet, which will be really important if they've got insulin resistance or their insulin's not functioning properly. Whereas if their stress hormones are actually the most, uh, or their root cause, then it might be the most important thing they can do is actually address stress and sleep and whether they're over-exercising, whether they're under-eating, and what else could be going on there for them. So that's why addressing that root cause is so, so important, is because we can then be super targeted at what we are changing. Rather than thinking, oh my goodness, I've got to eat the perfect meal that's been prepared by Buddhist monks in the Himalayan mountains, that's got the feng shui from Chinese medicine, and you know all those things that we can kind of... Um, get into I know that I'm exaggerating here but we can actually then go well actually you know what it's stress hormones that are my main issue and if I'm stressing the hell out of everything I'm eating then that's actually not the most important thing I can be doing so long as I'm eating pretty well actually the most important thing I can do is um, just go to bed earlier and not kill myself in the gym seven days a week and not stress about every tiny thing that's actually what's going to help me to get back ovulating. Whereas someone who's got some insulin issues, yeah, they're going to have to be a lot more careful about what they're eating because their body just doesn't tolerate certain foods the way that others would. So after step one is addressing the root cause, and then step two and three really would be addressing the most important factors from their diet and lifestyle pertaining to that type. So as I said before, yeah, if it's insulin, yeah, diet's going to be a massive, massive factor. And especially things like reducing sugar intake because sugar can be really insulin stimulating, i.e. makes your body produce more insulin, which is going to make your insulin resistance worse, which is mean that you're not going to ovulate or the egg quality is going to suffer. Whereas for someone, as I said, with stress hormones, it might be actually that we focus more on uh, reducing those stress hormones down and making sure that they're eating enough and getting enough carbohydrates. So those are steps two and three. Then step four is charting your cycles. And this is what I was talking about before with figuring out when your fertile window is. And that fertile window is when you, the pre-ovulation, when you have that cervical fluid present that can act as that riptide for your sperm, or for the sperm to get up to meet your egg. So a big part of this is, this is called the fertility awareness method, and it is about understanding those signs and symptoms of when your body is about to ovulate and when it has ovulated. 
So one of the ways we can know when we've ovulated is measuring our basal body temperature. And this is measuring our temperature every morning, first thing before we get up at about the same time, just orally with a oral digital thermometer. You know, first thing when you wake up in the morning, stick the thermometer in and then record down what that temperature is. And what you can see during during your cycle is that you will have, once you've ovulated, your temperature will rise by about 0.2 of a degree. And that will then confirm that you have ovulated because the hormone that you release after you've ovulated, progesterone, that increases your metabolic rate, which also increases your core body temperature. So that's why we then can use that as a sign that we have ovulated. But what that won't do is that won't help you actually time sex accordingly. That'll just confirm, yep, ovulation has happened. Congratulations. Um, but in order to, um, but what we can't do is we can't wait for that temperature rise to then time sex because that's showing us that ovulation has already happened. And so if we wait for the, the temperature rise, it's too late. The egg has already been released and the egg needed sperm waiting in the fallopian tubes ready for that um, egg to be released. So what we have to understand is we have to understand our other signs to show when we're leading up to ovulation. And that is our cervical fluid. That is what you feel when you go to the toilet and sometimes it's super slippery or you might notice a wetness or what looks like discharge in your underwear. Okay, that is cervical fluid and that is a really good sign that you're leading up to ovulation and it is what actually, as I said, what actually helps the sperm get through into this, uh, through the cervix and into your fallopian tube. So that's what I've dedicated another chapter of the book to is helping to figure that out. But there are also other great books out there if you want to get started on that now. Um, Taking Charge of Your Fertility is one good book or Fifth Vital Sign um, by Lisa Hendrickson Jack. She's got a great podcast called Fertility Friday. Um, her book is also great at helping you to understand, understand um, those fertility awareness signs and symptoms to help you time sex accordingly. And then once you've then know, so you've got your temperature, you can see when your temperature rise has occurred, you can then um, you can then count the days between that and when you get your period, check whether your luteal phase, that second half of your cycle, is long enough to allow the egg to go on and burrow in into the lining before that collapses. Um, if that's less than 11 days, we know that that's too short and therefore you won't be able to conceive. Okay, so that's another reason why we um, chart our cycles. And then the fifth uh, thing we do is make sure that you've got enough vitamins and minerals. And this is not just to help you to conceive, well, that's one of the big reasons. So vitamins and minerals and other, uh, we call them nutraceuticals, uh, basically uh, other nutrients that help your body adapt in different ways, they can really help uh, address that root cause. So say, for example, your insulin is not functioning properly then one uh, vitamin that's really crucial for that, it's, it's kind of a vitamin, it's part of the B vitamin family, it's called inositol. And that's been one that's been studied quite extensively in PCOS and has shown some really great results for helping to improve ovulation, improve quality of egg, um, reduce down your testosterone, which helps to improve the quality of the egg and therefore help you to conceive. This is because vitamins and minerals are essential cofactors in pretty much every reaction in the body. Well, at least every reaction that I know of. So what I mean by that is that imagine that your body is like a, a manufacturing plant. So say, imagine it's manufacturing cars. 
So to make up a car, you need lots of different parts. So first of all, you need a wheelbase with four wheels. If there is not enough wheelbases, so say the, the factory makes uh, 100 cars an hour, but if you've only got 40 wheelbases, then it won't be able to make 100 cars, right? It can only make 40. And so that's what we call a rate-limiting factor. We can only make as much as we have enough parts. And so if you think of vitamins and minerals as like parts, and so if you don't have enough vitamins and minerals, that reaction won't be able to occur. And so, you know, those vitamins and minerals that we know are essential for, say, our insulin receptor to work properly are things like inositol. They're also vitamin D, uh, B12 and folate are all essential as well. So if we don't have enough of those, then it makes sense that our insulin won't be functioning properly or won't be able to work as quickly as what someone who does have enough of those vitamins and minerals So a really simple way that we can help improve that root cause is by making sure that we're getting a lot of vitamins and minerals from our food. Now, yes, the supplements and supplements can help, but they don't replace the getting them from your food as well. And that's because nature knows best. Like, I know it's cliche, but seriously, like, it just makes sense that nature would put together vitamins and minerals to help them be absorbed well by our body. So, and, and in a way, and in a form that can be readily absorbed from our body and we would be silly to think that we can manufacture that to be quite as effective as what the as what nature can make for our body so as well as um maybe supplementing where needed it's really important to get as much as many of them from our food as possible so that would be eating a wide range of different foods that include uh, lots of vegetables um, also, animal good quality animal products. Um, so that be eggs and meats. Also, organ meats are a really, really, really uh, big source of a lot of nutrients like vitamin A uh, and choline, folate. So many of the things that we need, not just for our body to work properly, but to actually grow a baby. And I know that you'll probably barf when I talk about organ meats and so do I, um, but you can get them and kind of slip them into foods in different ways, um, which is what I'm trying to do at the moment. Because those vitamins and minerals, while being really, really important for addressing that root cause, are also vital for ensuring that you have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. Okay, so you need you need so many more vitamins and minerals to grow or create the tissue that forms your baby. If you think about what we do as females, how we create that tissue in the right way that the body knows where to put the little fingernails and, and everything it does, it's pretty incredible. But that what that comes with is it comes with an, an increased need for so many more vitamins and minerals. So for example, um, some research has now shown that the women need about three times the daily recommended level of vitamin B12 during pregnancy to be able to achieve or, or grow a baby. Um, so that's an optimal level for optimal health for you and the baby, which is a huge amount. Um, and vitamin B12 only comes from animal products, which is why people that are vegetarian or vegan especially, so vegetarian, you can still get some from, say, eggs and things like that, but especially for um, for people that are vegan, why um, they might want to think twice about that for while they're pregnant, um, just because it's very, very hard to get those recommended levels. And B12 is very, very important for uh, growing especially that neural tube so the brain and spinal cord of the baby and a lot of you will hear, be, have heard of folic acid supplementation 
during pregnancy. And folic acid is actually the synthetic form of the natural vitamin folate, folate or B9. Now, it's actually what you need is folate. You don't need folic acid, you need folate. Um, but folic acid is actually in a and well, supposedly converted into natural folate in the body. But actually about 30% of people don't have a gene or the, in, the gene that encodes for an enzyme to do that conversion. And so they will miss out on getting the folate they need, even if their body, if they're taking a folic acid supplement. So getting it from, like getting folate from leafy greens, and as I said, getting from liver or other animal products as well is really important. As, in, as is another vitamin called choline. Choline's another B vitamin. And it's like the forgotten little brother of folate. It is as important as folate in forming that neural tube, but it's just not talked about. So again, getting that from your food sources and then also topping up with a prenatal or supplement to help with that as well. So... As I said earlier, the goal is really not just to get pregnant. It's about having a healthy baby, having a healthy pregnancy so that you're not absolutely whacked by the end of pregnancy because it doesn't just end there. You've then got enough to have enough vitamins and minerals to be able to breastfeed and not be exhausted during that as well. So that's why we focus on getting as many vitamins and minerals that we can from our diet and then where we need them supplementing and then also using other what we call nutraceuticals um, and these are things like herbs and polyphenols things that we can't get from our diet um, herb would be like berberin which is one that's really great for improving insulin sensitivity a polyphenol would be something like green tea extract which is again fantastic for improving insulin um, but you can't just get from just drinking green tea same as resveratrol which is a compound found in red wine but you'd have to drink I think it was 3,000 glasses of red wine to be able to get enough resveratrol which I think I don't need to explain why that's a bad thing uh, so you know those kind of compounds can help to improve or make our body more sensitive to insulin um, but are not necessarily from our diet so those are why in step five we need to address not only just our vitamin and mineral intake to make sure that we have enough for uh, to address that root cause but also enough to grow the baby and be healthy and also anything else that we can do that can potentially help just give our body a little bit more of a boost to address that root cause. So takeaway for you now is if you're either trying to conceive or you are thinking about it in the future, then the things that you need to do is go back and figure out what those fertile ingredients are and are they working. So as I said, you can do this even if you're not trying to conceive now, but you're thinking about this in you know, the next year, two years, or even five years. It doesn't really matter because the same principles apply. You don't have to try and get pregnant to be able to understand whether these fertile ingredients are working properly. So going back, the first one was making sure that you're ovulating uh, because that will then tell us a reason why you might not be ovulating is that you don't have those fertile ingredients. Your egg isn't working properly. And at the same time, get your partner to do a semen analysis and making sure they've got optimal levels of sperm uh, rather than just kind of they pass the bar. So if you're ovulating, the easiest way to work this out is the what I mentioned in step four is just taking your temperature every morning and seeing if you get that temperature rise. Um, you need to go and we'll, we'll do a, a more in-depth podcast on this later but um, otherwise if you want to go now and do some reading as I said I gave you the reference to those two great books that you can um, go and read and I'll put them in the show notes as well um, to help you with that and of course there'll be a whole chapter dedicated to that in my book coming up later as well. So that will be the first thing to know if you're ovulating or not. If you are ovulating then 
then it will help you to time sex correctly, so making sure that you're timing correctly. And that was the second fertile ingredient, was the timing. If you're not ovulating, then that would be going back and figuring out that root cause. So either coming and joining us in the PCS protocol to understand what your uh, root cause is, um, and then getting your right steps to implement and to address that root cause. So what do you need to do to change to your diet? Or is it more important to actually address your sleep and your exercise and uh, your stress hormones? And then the third thing would be to uh, make sure that you have enough progesterone to keep that nest intact. So again, that comes back to charting your cycles and you can then count the days from when you get that temperature rise to when you um, get your period and just check is that long enough. And if it is long enough, great. If it isn't, then again, that probably comes back to addressing that root cause. Because if you don't have enough progesterone, the likely reason for that is because your insulin's not working properly or your stress hormones aren't working properly and you aren't ovulating first time round. Your body might take two or three times during a cycle to ovulate. And that would be um, very likely if your cycles are more than 35 days long. That's a really good sign that your body's trying to ovulate more than once during that cycle. So those would be the things that I would go and do right away, whether you want to conceive now or you want to conceive in the future, is check those three fertile ingredients. And as I said, there will be way more information in the book coming out. Um, and if you want to go and address that or figure out what that root cause is for you and start to get the right steps in place to do that, then come and join us in the PCOS protocol. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, it's also on our website, thepcosnutritionist.com. If you head to the program tab, then you'll find it in there as well. But I hope that's helped you to understand a bit more about how fertility works, how to get pregnant, what could be going wrong, and especially where to look next. Because I think that while education is amazing and understand what's going on, really what, what we need to know is what can we do now? Where can we start to look um, so that you're not just reliant on your doctor or fertility specialist to tell you what you need to do? Um, because often in PCOS, fertility treatments are not necessary. Um, they can be really helpful if you've gone through all of those um, steps and figured out what's going wrong and, and even though you've implemented the steps you need to to address your root cause, you're still not ovulating for some reason, then that's when um, having the medical intervention like a, like drugs like letrozole or Clomid can be fantastic. Um, but for a lot of women I see that they are not, um, they're not necessary and also they're often used too quickly before we've actually allowed the body to address it itself. So a whole chapter in the book I've dedicated to the different medical treatments for PCOS and fertility, what the research behind them is, what the efficacy is, uh, when they're useful for, but also what the risks associated with them are so that you know what you're signing up to when you are using them. And most importantly, you know what steps you can take to help your body get back ovulating or conceive naturally. Uh, and then you know where to go to next if that doesn't work for you. So thanks so much for letting me into your eardrums today. I trust that this podcast has been helpful for those of you trying to conceive or those that want to understand a bit more about their fertility for future. Now the book is going to be released later this year. I'll be able to come back to you shortly with uh, exact dates on that, but I can tell you it will be later this year. 
The book will go into much more detail about everything we've talked about today on the podcast. But until then, I'll also have some follow-up episodes on fertility so that you can get, we can get more into the nitty-gritty about all of those different fertile ingredients. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you all next week. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals as appropriate regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.